rolling. Well, hello, Andy and Zach here. We're at a new spot. This Indeed. Is, this is Zans, spelled C Z A N N S. We're in the nations. Mm hmm. And. We're 51st in Indiana? Yep. Ish? Yep, we're on Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. I went to Zans when they were just a little hole in the wall downtown, and I remember having a delicious blonde ale, which I believe is what you're drinking. It is what I'm drinking, actually. You want to try it? Yeah, if you don't mind. Yeah, here you go. While you're taking that sip, so Sans, when... um, I don't remember where we tasted it, but when Megan and I got married, we had beer and wine at our uh, reception. And so, without getting into details, we did our entire wedding and reception like on a shoestring budget or whatever, but something that was important to me was to have local beer. Mm. So we had wine and, and local beers. And one of the local beers was Sans Pumpkin Ale. Um, we had four local kegs. That was one of them. And because um, we've loved it ever, like, ever since. I think we tried it. It was like the Mafiosa's. What's that event in the middle of the summer downtown? It's like the Mafiosa's like beer festival or something. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I want to say it's in like July. Or something. Yeah. But anyway, Mafiosas did this, does this thing. They didn't do it last year, but does this thing where they have like all these different vendors and food and beer or whatever. And I think that was the first time we'd ever tried Sans Pumpkin Ale. Mm. And we ended up getting a mini keg of their pumpkin ale for our wedding in October. Mm. So that's how it happened. Nice. Um, so yeah, now we've known Sans for a while. Yeah. Well, I'm excited because this seems to be a really cool spot. Hopefully you can tell by listening that it's nice and quiet super chill there's literally two tables on this patio and we have one of them well and literally two patrons and we're both of them yeah and they open at four <laughs> and we start recording at four fifteen. do they really open at four yeah i, I got here like four ten, and i was like i wonder if they're even open on monday anyway they're open on monday and we're here well that's how we find out <laughs> yeah yeah as i was plugging it in i went to their website to double check the hours and since today's technically a holiday but I, you wouldn't think that a brewery would be closed on a july 4th technically july 5th holiday a lot of people were off today and then i was like maybe i should have taken off i only did i only had two sessions earlier yeah i they only were, had one they were fun they were fine yeah so all that to say this might be our new spot it's very convenient for me coming from my last session of the afternoon right yeah well, and again, like we love Bull Patriot, but there's music and there's right. Like the train was a thing last week. Yeah, um, and not to like not to downplay Bull Patriot, but I like having a new spot because it makes me a little sharper. Yeah, totally. If you will. Uh, anyway, so yeah. Well, I have the opposite thing going on. As I was talking about just a minute ago, I'm going to apologize if I'm a little slow. With I'm dragging a little bit. I'm a little lethargic. You know, it was a long weekend, and mm. it's been a long, hot day. I had a big workout, and now I'm oh, what was that? Now I'm halfway. <laughs> now I'm halfway through this oatmeal stout, and um, yeah, I'm just feeling real chill, sloth-like. I took a nap earlier, so I'm all right. Actually, man, I haven't taken a nap in probably three or four years what yeah i'm not a big napper 
I see how I used to not be, but I'm I'm better at it now. But like, well, whatever. Anyway, maybe we could talk about naps next, <laughs> next episode. Well, maybe we could talk about naps this episode. Well, speaking of what we're going to talk about, we really didn't have too much of an agenda coming in. But like I've been mentioning, uh, well, Andy and I are both I wouldn't say voracious readers, but we probably read. We probably read at least a couple pages a day out of something. Casual. I read, um, I was doing some reading earlier, some homo days. Mm. I'm like 30 pages away from being done, but I really like it. And today, talking about napping, I was laying on the couch. You got about five or six pages into the content and just realized that my brain was like fading, Mm. that I like wasn't comprehending. And so I just quit. Do you ever fall asleep as you're reading and drop a book on yourself no i usually leaf my page and throw the book on the coffee table or if i'm in the hammock throw the book on the ground and then actually like snooze. Dude, that happens to me all the time i'll be reading my kindle in bed and it just falls oh, on no. me like at night uh-huh that's supposed to be looking at screens at late at night i'm glad you brought that up mm. kindle has like a natural backlight set up to where supposedly it's not blue light I keep the I keep it very dimmed uh, but I gotta tell you doesn't doesn't hurt my quality sleep but I could be I could be wrong you know the funny thing about that is there was a period of time where I was actually shutting down all screens about an hour before bed and I will admit it made a huge difference Mm. now I that's hard to do because what do you do in that hour? Not watch TV and not look at your phone. It just it's weird um, that we live in a world where not looking at a screen for an hour before bed, you're like, well, what do I do? And to which case I would respond, you know, maybe you read a book or I don't know. Exercise? No. Maybe, maybe do a little maybe do a little nighttime yoga. A little nighttime stretch. I was thinking something else, but okay. Uh, you know, however you interpret, <laughs> however you like to do yoga, other Andy. nighttime physical activities. I mean, yeah, get your heart rate up a little bit. Yeah, why not? Yeah, there's so many options. We're talking about sex. What? <laughs> Just want to make sure that our listenership uh, wasn't confused about what I was getting at. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, well, there's nothing, you know. Listen, nothing gets past our listeners. No, they're very they're, sharp. They're very sharp. They're very nuanced, and they listen. They listen to every word. Right. This they is why you got hang that, on every sentence. That like ASMR voice going on right now. Somebody's gonna be listening to this podcast going to bed. I mean, we might put we might be putting people to sleep right now. No, we just talked about sex. That always tell you what. Up. How about you just listen to this podcast before bedtime? What is that? Is that in the glass? That's got to be in the glass. Uh, that's got to be a glass deformation. Yeah, look at that. Kind. There's two of them. Wait a minute. One just popped off. No, that might be a bubble. What? That is a... Hang on. Don't yell directly, <laughs> directly into the microphone. Actually, yeah. It might... Oh! It was a bubble. That was insane. Well, that's the most exciting thing that's happened to Andy or I today. All right. There was a giant bubble stuck on the side of the glass that was so still, I thought it was a deformation. I thought it was an air bubble in the glass. Yeah, I did too. We should maybe... And then it wasn't. We should inquire about this 
with the bartender. The, with the with the bartender. Did you catch her name by the way? I didn't. I'm usually really good at that, but not this time. Yeah. Next time. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, we're almost done with round one, so we'll have our opportunity. Plus, That's I need true. some water. Oh, same. All right. So you brought a book. I brought a book. So this is Mastery by George Leonard. I'm about three quarters of the way through with it. Now, can I stop you for a second? You always do. Weren't you... I do. Weren't you listening to this book? No. No. I thought you had said that you were listening to this one on audiobook. No, no, no. Mastery by Robert Greene is an audiobook that I listen to every year. Right. And that's the one. Because I was like, ugh. Yeah. And Andy with his... Opinions. (laughs) Andy with his... (laughs) Critics hat on. Um, I, it was, doesn't it was fine. I doesn't just, uh, actually, you know, we could probably do a whole episode on Robert Greene books. Although you I've probably only wouldn't, read the one. you probably wouldn't have too much to say. Um, but no, so Mastery by Robert Greene is is a you know a huge bestseller, a a modern tome of well advice about mastery, stories about mastery, really. Um, I, I really like his uh, his writing style, but this is not that. This is Mastery by George Leonard, and I believe this book came out in the 90s. Could be wrong. Let's see if I can look here. Speaking of books that came out a long time ago. 92. Influential. How to Win Friends and Influence People mm-hmm. is a great book that came out in like 1925 or mm-hmm. something. I don't know when it was first published, but it's Dale on, Carnegie. That's right. It's on my Kindle. You've read it, right? Mm-hmm. Of course you have. Yeah, man. It's, uh, that's why I get people's names, bartenders in particular. Right. It's, that's a Dale Carnegie thing. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, uh, when I first got into fitness, I got into a huge, you know, what you would Fight. call. That's that's a story for another time. Uh, I I really got into what you would call like self help books. Okay. You know I've I've probably read almost every self help book under the sun. But in the Hall of Fame, you know, shortlist, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, definitely one of the top top books. And uh, you know it's funny reading those old timey. You know that old timey writing, but um, yeah, the lessons in there are are timeless. And the other one that I reference all the time, even in my uh, training, is uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Is that a Robert Greene? No, no, that's um, that's uh, Stephen Covey. I believe that book came out in the seventies or the eighties. But the most important, what I consider. The most important lesson from that book, the most important habit, if you will, is seek first to understand, then to be understood. Mm. And I feel like that is so applicable to almost any, you know, contentious human interaction. And is vital for almost any healthy human interaction so can we turn this into a fitness thing real quick it's, it's a free country Andy 
Well, let's, let's exercise our seek first to understand, uh, and then be understood. Last week, I was working with a client, and he's been dealing with some like low back pain, like like bad low back pain, mm. um, for a while, like a long time, um, and he asked me. Or made a comment like, well, part of the reason I have all this low back pain is because I don't stretch enough. I don't stretch. Mm. <clears throat> Where I could have seek, like, sought first to understand is I could have been like, well, what do you think stretching would do to help your back? I imagine that he would say something along the lines of alleviate pain or whatever. To which case, I would be like, hmm, but does it? Well, Andy, I'm going to give you a little bit of pushback there. Okay. Seek first to understand. What I'm questioning right now is, if you really put yourself in his shoes, does he need someone to school him in stretching science? No. Listen, listen. I'm, I'm, I'm talking off the cuff here. I don't know. I don't know this guy from Adam, and I and you're, you're like the second best coach I know. So, <laughs> so I'll take that. So, what I so, it, so it's tricky. This this, uh, this perspective, if you will, seek first to understand, then to be understood. I think, and I, I hope I'm not being too critical here, I'm trying to make this the least controversial podcast ever, is I think you are jumping straight to being understood. Right. No, I, I wouldn't. At least, at least in this particular conversation that we're having. That. Yeah, no, I would not argue against that. And, and to be fair, this is this is why that particular lesson strikes me so hard is because as coaches, this is like this this is like the make or break mentality uh, mindset here. So as much as we would like to just throw the book at people, throw the science at people, that's not what people need or want at first and and I I might be going off on a tangent that may not even relate to your story but I think a big part of what we should be doing as coaches probably what people should be doing as parents or as leaders or as managers is to wholly acknowledge someone's predicament, position, and their perspectives. And then, in a finessed way, drop some science on them. The difficulty, I, I will agree with you. The difficulty with this particular client um, in this particular circumstance is that the way the conversation unfolded 
was sort of this undermining my expertise and authority kind of conversation. Oh. It wasn't a, what do you think? It was a, well, we're not, clearly we're doing something wrong because I'm not uh. stretching enough. And I was like, well, mm. hold on. So the conversation was was more or less teed up to be a little bit combative. Oh, okay. So it wasn't just a, hey, well, what do you think? Mm. Like, do you think that I should stretch more? In which case, I probably would have leaned more into their preconceived mo- notions or whatever. And then, like, kind of put my own finesse on it. Mm. Instead, it was this, well, my back hurts clearly because we don't stretch enough. And that's, you didn't say this out loud, but effectively, and that's your fault. And I was like, mm. there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot to unpack here. Got it. Your assumption that stretching is the cure and not your nine hours a day of sitting at a desk. Right. Also, every time you move more, your back feels much better. So there must be something to that. And then here's where I leaned into it. I was like, we, because I only see him twice a week. Given the amount of time that we have to work together, stretching is not a good use of those resources at two hours a week. Um, now, if we were meeting seven days a week, sure, we have plenty of time for it. But at two, two hours a week, we don't have time for it. So if you want to stretch, if you think stretching is good for you, I am going to support you 100%, but it's going to be outside of our session because we don't have time for it. It's just not a good use of our time. Um, that's where I'm. That's where I have difficulty mm. because I'm quite literally. You are. I am hired for my expertise, and so when your um, thought process, the whole seek to be understood part, when it's based on flawed reasoning, I have difficulty with it. And it doesn't even have to be fitness. It could be politics. It could be religion. It can be anything. If your entire ethos is based on flawed reasoning. I have difficulty with that as a human being. Abs- I, I know this about you. Right. You ha- you do not... You put the no BS in A to Z no <laughs> BS. Andy has zero patience. He gives zero uh, get, I, wiggle room for anything that is not... Well, and, and it would be one thing if I was just pulling this out of my ass, but there's no literature to support the idea that stretching alleviates pain, improves performance reduces injury risk none of the literature supports any of those things at best it's it's a maybe mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. again based on our, our time constraints and our resources it's not a good use of our time if we were working out seven days a week i'd find a way to make it work yeah but two days a week i'm not going to spend an hour of our training session working on stretching when it's not going to improve performance it's not if it mitigates any pain it's only temporary it's fleeting Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not going to, you know, there's no real benefit to it. Let me ask you this. Would you be willing to say all of this to your client and then say, I will, in, how should I put this? Eat my words? Maybe not even eat your words, but what if you what if you communicate all this and then you say, but let's try it. So let's the, actually, quote unquote, you wouldn't say waste time, but let's actually spend some time 
stretching, doing more mobility. Well, here's the funny thing. What have you? Here's the funny thing about this client in particular is that he gets real impatient if we're not moving fast enough. So mm. that's another like element to so this. There's a little paradox there. There's a paradox there where he gets real impatient. Like they're like his back bothers him. Will will barbell bench because he likes to barbell bench. But getting out of that position, leaning up out of the bench to go do something else causes pain. So what I'll do is be like, bruh, just bench and chill. Just lay on the bench. And about 30 seconds later, he's like, what are we doing? What's that? What are we doing? I'm like, we're resting right now. Well, why do you think that is? Uh, probably because of his lifestyle around work. He's mm. always this sort of... And I, I literally have to be like, I'm going to put you on a two or three minute timer. And that's fair. I mean, that's fair. Two or three minutes. That's not me just willy-nilly pretending like I know what kind of time frame. It's quite literally a structured time like that we agreed on. Three minutes between sets. Mm -hmm. You don't have to get up off the bench, which bothers your back. But that three minutes is what I need for you to recover so that we can perform on this bench press. So mm -hmm. chill. And he gets impatient with that. Interesting. And so... There's there's a lot of layers to this, and this isn't this isn't a universal thing that I've run into with a lot of my people, but I do have difficulty with. Um, and I even told him he's like, well, all these surgeons and orthopedics or whatever would tell you you need to stretch before a workout, and after a workout, or before gameplay and after. And I will tell you, at least in this situation, I might finesse this differently depending on who I'm talking to, that that's based on antiquated research. And so, I'm sorry. If there's a lot of people that might be listening to this that I might be, like, crucifying their, like, favorite part of their workout. But stretching doesn't do what we thought it did. And it doesn't benefit performance. And it doesn't necessarily prevent injury risk. So, I have difficulty spending time on it uh, when we have limited resources. I can see you just fuming over here. I'm not fuming. <laughs> that's, that's the... You're swirling. That's, that's the July 5th heat coming <laughs> off of this coming off of this asphalt all right andy you're you're i mean obviously you're 100 percent on the nose with all this stuff and i really i don't really think this is the appropriate <laughs> time or place with the recorders rolling to hash this out too much but I'm afraid from my take it sounds like you haven't understood him yet without getting into a lot of the details with this particular Look, I don't know. Client, I don't know this guy from Adam. Well, and and even getting him seen by an orthopedic surgeon and a physical therapist took years. Right. Ye well, so now, I'm not saying I'm not saying a few weeks. Years. So, Andy, you're talk you're talking numbers. You're talking science. You are, and that's that's why you're here. You're the numbers and science guy. But but you're not telling me where this guy is coming from. My frustration. I'm not talking about your frustration. Right. What's his frustration? His frustration is he's in pain a lot. Okay. Here's the, here's where we have difficulty. Is he goes for long walks or goes for hikes and his back feels better. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's great. Do that. 
do more hikes, more long walks, whatever. Back feels better. We mitigate anything that we think might cause any back pain in the gym. We're not doing anything in the gym that we think is going to cause any more issues. Great. Perfect. Moving in the right direction. Despite our workarounds and otherwise interventions, it took years of back pain to go get seen by somebody for them to be like, oh, well, your back's messed up or not messed up or here's some physical therapy, see if we can work around it. And even then, I've asked them, I'm like, well, once you get going to physical therapy, let me talk to your physical therapist to see if there's anything that we're doing in the gym that might be making things worse or if there's things that we could do differently or there's elements that I'm not even thinking of that so we can collaborate and make your healing process faster, mm -hmm. more efficient, more pain-free. Mm -hmm. He will not share that information with me and insists on, well, I'll, t I'll just tell you. I'll just tell you if it's bothering my back. I'll just tell you. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But, like, I'm, I'm here to help you. And when you when you're trying to put these barriers and I have a, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to understand and I'm trying to be accommodating but when you quite literally place barriers mm. in my way I was going to say I have I have difficulty being understanding at that point yeah and it sounds like and you took the words right out of my mouth it sounds like this guy's throwing up a brick wall and the only thing he's throwing over to you is mm, complaints Mm, my back hurts. Mm, what are we doing? Mm, two minutes is too long to rest. Mm, this, mm, that. So that is a very frustrating position to be in as a coach because it's your job and it's your passion to help somebody. And when you're, when you're working with someone who has these walls put up and the only thing you're getting back is, you know, these types of complaints or these like, you know, sounds like he's stonewalling you on, on you know, some of this feedback. Um, that's hard. That's really hard. And that's what makes this topic of conversation, on the one hand, so tricky. And on the other hand, so important. And look, you're not this guy's like best friend you're not his partner you're not part of his family so you have a boundary yourself as a professional mm -hmm. and this might be one of those situations where it's like mm, we're just you know we just kind of have to say you know what it is what it is and we do our best obviously you should continue to you know educate this guy do what's in his best interest and try to break through here but it sounds like this guy has a wall up that is fundamentally compromising the nature of what you want to do as a coach and that's compromising his results and his progress right and at a certain point you're you know you're there every day Mm -hmm. you're there to to do your job sounds like he's not really committed to doing his job as a good client well and this is a little bit of a throwback to a podcast that we did a long time ago where i had that one client that she and i got into it 
because she, yeah. mm-hmm. she didn't want to mm-hmm. she wanted to lose weight lose fat but she wouldn't track any of her food take pictures right journal she wouldn't do anything she wouldn't do anything it was my responsibility to fix her problem right and i was like well i'm quite literally throwing you every single possible tool that i have in my toolbox and you're just batting them away in a similar way it's like that where um i will be accommodating to your preconceived notions but i don't I don't think stretching is a good use of our time in this particular circumstance. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you that. that I think this is where coaching gets tricky because on the one hand, we are hired to provide a service to our clients, right? And on the other hand, part of that service is to, in a way, be the educated professional who can tell you this is a good use of our resources and time this might be less so, this is useless or whatever. I'm supposed to help expedite this entire process. Mm -hmm. I am supposed to cut through all the bullshit and help you get from point A to point B as efficiently and safely as possible. So if you're going to ask my opinion or bestow your own opinion about stretching, I'm going to voice it. That's part of my responsibility as a coach and a professional to say, while I understand your, I, I'm trying to understand your perspective here, given the circumstances and given the literature, I don't think it's a good use of our time. I think, if anything, moving more during the day would be a better intervention. And so here's where I compromised, is um, we're not going to stretch during our two hours a week, but I would like for you to do a 10 or 15 minute yoga session every day or every other day. I don't care as many days as possible 10 to 15 minutes that's pretty non-invasive you can go to youtube there's plenty of free 10 so to 15 did, minutes so how did that go over well so i'll see him to wednesday all right well we will, I will be... bet you a crisp 100 dollars that he has not done it okay i'm gonna so... bet you a crisp 500 dollars he hasn't done it if i was a betting man i might i might take you up on that so i, I so i think at this point we've established that really you know it it takes two to tango right so this particular client is not understanding like where you're at well it sounds like he really doesn't have too much self-awareness to begin with so all this to say sounds like you guys are kind of Pitted in this in this kind of back and forth that has no has no end has no redemption has no finish. So I'm gonna say let's let's bookend this conversation right here. Okay. You know I'll give you the last word, but I think I think the the theme and the takeaway from this is. And hopefully, I can I can tie this into the, think, yeah. the theme of, of this, this book here because because honestly, this book talks a lot about the dynamic between coach and trainee hmm. and how there has to be there has to be some open communication there. There has to be a a willingness to subject yourself to the process and and a huge amount of honesty. That, that goes into it. And so honesty doesn't mean just n- not lying. 
but also, you know, being honest with what is holding you back if you know what it is. So this guy in particular, again, who knows? Who knows? But these are the nuanced points that go beyond the sets and reps and the exercises where we really start talking about human psychology and that's this is where things get get messy especially when you know hey we all have jobs here andy you can only see this guy two hours a week you have a job to do you have a service that you deliver in those sessions and you know to be fair we really don't have the expertise or the time or the energy or the inclination to dive back into this guy's childhood to figure out why he's this way. Well, and he can be super cool. It's this client notwithstanding, he can actually be very cool. He waffles. I, I guess to book in this conversation, there's two points that I'd like to make. The first, and we've talked about this before, in, in terms of like my own experience with CrossFit, be coachable. Be coachable. And also, and this goes to the co- the clients or anybody who's who's hired a coach. At, you can ask questions, so be coachable, but also ask questions. And here's why: when I did those internships at those high schools, you know, we talked about this on a couple po- bunch of podcasts. But one of my mentors at one point told me, "Is like if you're going to do something in the gym, in the weight room, if you're going to do something." Be prepared to defend it. Right. So what I would say is that the client, if you're going to hire a coach, be coachable. But ask questions. And if the coach is unable or unwilling to explain their reasoning, then that might be a maybe not a red flag, but that should be a yellow flag. Mm. And again, it goes back. I'm not saying stretching is wholly useless. In the context of our situation, it is not a good use of our time. And that's an honest that's an honest assessment. I'm not trying to like sweep stretching under the rug or that I don't know anything about stretching because I know a little bit about it. But I can justify my reasoning for not stretching. And it's documented and research backed. If he said, Why aren't we stretching? And I was like, Ah, just because I don't like it, that's not a legitimate reason to not do it. So be coachable, ask questions. And as a coach, be prepared to defend your decisions. I can do that with this situation. So if you can't do that, then you should probably rethink what you're doing. Right? Right. Okay. Moving on. So we've got a couple empty glasses here. We do. And it appears as if there is no table service at this particular establishment. Um, What time is it? So how about this? How about, and if you wouldn't mind, since you have two... Hands, hands, two legs, two hands and two legs. Whoa, watch out! Andy can now. Are you cleared to lift more than a pint of? Oh yeah, you okay. saw me. I was pulling thirty pounds the other day. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So if you wouldn't mind, could you get us another round and some waters? Do you want the blonde? We're talking about the beer or the? Well, the bartender's brunette. So yeah, I'll have I'll have another stout, please. Okay. Thank you so much. All I'll right. keep our listeners occupied. All right, I'll be right. While while you're away. You just have to tell me what you're talking about. You'll, you'll find out soon enough. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening. You know, it's it's really amazing that 
<laughs> that we've lasted 20 some odd episodes you know time time has flown right by you know I'm starting to walk again and I vividly remember hobbling into uh, what was it living waters uh, with my external fixator and chatting with Andy about you know totally shattering my leg and now here I am walking around almost almost walking around again without without crutches but um, yeah this has been this has been super fun and I I'm sure it's obvious but again to state the obvious we don't script any of this stuff we sometimes exchange text messages about you know random talking points that it might be fun to hit but you know other than that look what you hear is what you get I'm I'm a real dude Andy's a real dude speaking for myself I don't really know that much I'm not I wouldn't consider myself a subject expert that is worthy of citation or reference I'm figuring all this stuff out as I go and this podcast is just a you know a pet project you know something that I've been wanting to do for a long time you know I've dabbled in podcasts over the years but you know I think this is kind of a special type of content creation where you can just you can just sit back have a conversation Reina yes thank Thank you you so much much. appreciate you and you know not to say that I don't know you know I think I think you could you could make the argument for not listening to this podcast you can make an argument for listening to it Either I came way. in at the wrong time for, like, that quote. <laughs> I was just saying how how really uh, thrilled I am that we've lasted as long as we have. 25 today. This is 25. Yeah. Stellar. Basically haven't missed a week. I think we missed one. We missed one, but I feel like that's fair in a 52-week year. Yeah. So... I don't know, man. I think I think the podcast medium is special, especially like a recurring podcast, because I think what we're starved for a lot these days is long-form, nuanced conversation, or just or just you know just just casual conversation. And hey, if you've been listening to one or all episodes or anything in between I just want to say how much I appreciate you as a listener taking your time I agree yeah. I appreciate that. I was just thinking about what you're saying about the long form content and human nature is what I was kind of thinking about oh. so with that all right my my hands are sweaty from uh, holding my places in this in this book. Those pages are gonna be all like. That's really big, right? Can I borrow this when you're done with that? Yeah, man, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, uh, mastery: the keys to success and long-term fulfillment. Fulfillment by George Leonard, who is the author of The Way of Aikido. And Andy said, "What is Aikido? If you're not familiar, Aikido is a martial art." And it's my understanding that it's centered around the science of using your opponent's momentum against them. 
So, you know, when somebody's taking a swing at you, how you, you know, get out of the way and... Dodge, deflect. Dodge, deflect. Dip, dive, dodge, duck. Dodge. Dodge. Dive. (laughs) If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. (laughs) All right. So, um, so So, this book was brought to my attention by Dan John. Dan John references... Uh, this work and George Leonard uh, a lot in his podcast and and his writings. So I meant to, and Dan John will will say as much. He says you don't need to read the book; you can just find the articles that this, that this guy wrote for Esquire magazine, and that'll be that'll be good enough. But I didn't want to stare at a computer screen for however long it was going to take me to read those old Esquire reprints. Right. So I was like, ah, let me just go ahead and just order the book. I'm sorry, not even order the book. As you will see here from the the barcode, I found this randomly at McKay's Books. Well, that and that book looks fresh as yeah, and it was a dollar fifty. Right, it's a buck fifty, and that book look, looks like it's never been opened. Yeah, right, exactly. So I just so happened to be perusing through McKay's, and I found it for a dollar fifty. And I thought, ah, why not? So there's probably nothing in this book that you haven't heard before. If you're into self improvement, if you're into fitness, if you're someone who has, uh, you know a hobby or something that you're passionate about. Um, but nevertheless, pardon me while I take a sip. And you don't have to pardon yourself. That's part of the podcast is to well, drink beer. I wanted to give some sort of uh want to give some sort of signal that I was taking a sip mm. and that I, that their uh you know podcast didn't just freeze. Well and they're on their edge of the seats now. Right. So, uh, all that to say, um, I've made a few notes as I've gone, but I thought, honestly, this this first topic and this first note that I really took will probably last us for the for the last fifteen or so minutes of this okay. podcast. That's cool. So, um, chapter two is called Meet the Dabbler, the Obsessive, and the Hacker. Oh. Oh. Okay. So I'm just going to kind of maybe briefly go over this idea and then specifically dive into this uh, highlighted section. So, a, so a big theme of this book is, is taking, taking a honest look at the trajectory of mastery. And that involves a lot of plateaus. Okay. Right? Yeah. Most of our time is spent in the plateau. Mm. No matter what you're doing. If you're trying to be good at something, or you you are good at something, you're going to spend the vast majority of your time at some sort of plateau. Obviously, if we're training, we know that we have newbie gains. Newbie gains are very exciting. And then you're going to experience some sort of plateau. And I would almost argue the longer you're in this game, any game that you're trying to be good at, the longer those plateaus last. Right. 
I can't imagine if you've been coaching for 10 years that there's anything out there that's going to like escalate your coaching like quick, like super fast all of a sudden. Right. I mean, you're probably going to spend, you know, your early formative years are these like increases and then plateau, increase, plateau, increase, plateau. But I imagine after 10, 20, 30 years in this business, fitness, otherwise, your plateaus probably last a lot longer. Right. You know, uh, it's 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 kind of the 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 paradox of performance you know the closer we get to our potential the harder and longer you have to work for each incremental bit of progress it's kind of like a vo2 max graph right that's i don't know that's just kind of just kind of the nature of of human performance um so you know it's like We've got the Olympics coming up. Rarely do you see someone smash an Olympic record by more than a percentage point. Right. Right? Like, nobody's... Nobody is suddenly... Uh, you know, what Michael Phelps. It's funny, I just listened to a podcast with Michael Phelps. Swimmers, racers, you know, sports of any kind. You're fighting for milliseconds you're training four years eight years your entire life for milliseconds that's wild that's insane yeah nobody's you know nobody's setting records at least you know now without some maybe illicit help nobody's setting records that are blowing past Right. Previous records. Because when you get to the highest echelons, you're you're flirting you're flirting with the top of the top of the top of the top. So Olympics are on my mind, so obviously we, we see that a lot in sports. Well, so the better be- you get the longer those plateaus you have to expect. Right. And this and we don't have to talk about this, but I'm just thinking about this while you're talking is that the like sports performance over the last 100 years has come a really long way. But we are reaching that plateau of like what humans are physically capable of. I think. Yeah. I mean, when was it that the sub 4 minute mile was broken? It was like 1920. Was that uh, Bannister? I think so. Roger Bannister broke the mile run in under four minutes. No one thought that was possible. They thought your heart would quite literally explode in your chest. And what happened is after he broke that, three or four more people broke it like within a month after that. Right. But all that is to say is that sports science has come a really long way in 100 years. But I think you're right. I think in terms of like where people were in the 1920s, 1930s, in terms of performance... And then everything we've been doing since then, like leaps and bounds different. Mm-hmm. But I think we are starting to reach somewhat of a plateau of, of human performance. Sure. Okay. Anyway. That's we, why we if, need to keep coming up with new sports. I mean. You know, it's only a matter of time before uh, Call of Duty is in. Esports are, are really popular. Yeah. It's actually very wild. Well, it kind of makes sense. I mean, if you think about it, like we've we've gotten as jacked 
and as fast and as skilled as a human body could possibly allow. Practically. Sure. What is there left to do? Well, let's turn ourselves into ones and zeros and do it in the digital world. Well, it's like uh, Ready Player One. Right. You saw that movie, right? Mm-hmm. Or you read the book? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've never read the book, but I saw the movie. I saw the movie. I've seen the movie like three or four times. Yeah. It's very good. So, that's that's where we're going. But, in any case, okay. um, chapter two here. Meet the dabbler, the obsessive, and the hacker. So, these are personality and behavior types that are pitfalls on the way to mastery that many of us fall pitfalls. into. Pitfalls. Pitfalls. Okay. Yes, pitfalls. So the dabbler. What is the dabbler? The dabbler approaches each new sport, career opportunity, or relationship with enormous enthusiasm. He or she loves the rituals involved in getting started, the spiffy new equipment, the lingo, the shine of the newness. Blah, 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 blah. Um, okay. Uh, okay, he can't wait for his next lesson. But the fall-off from his first peak comes as a shock. The plateau that follows is unacceptable, if not incomprehensible. His enthusiasm quickly wanes. He starts missing and skipping lessons. His mind fills with rationalizations. Maybe this isn't the right sport for him. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So the well, dabbler. There's a lot of how them many in this sphere. How many times, Andy, so many. do we run into the dabbler? Someone so who comes many. in gung ho, and three workouts in, three weeks in, three months in, when the rubber meets the road and the honeymoon phase is over. They rationalize themselves completely out of the practice. This one's really tricky as a coach because I I don't think this is a, a, like a, the 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 dabbler this characteristic. I don't think is all that um, unfamiliar with the type of people that we work with. What's tricky about working with the dabbler is trying to find ways of. Um, creating success week in and week out while also maintaining the boring whatever of like the training process so I think that's typically how I like to write programs and we've talked about this extensively in this podcast and I won't elaborate but I try to anchor a couple major lifts so we can try to see demonstrable progress but I try to rotate my accessories rotate my warm-ups and rotate my finishers so that people are engaged and challenged in different ways while also maintaining some, I'm going to use an architecture term, a datum of performance. That The dabbler is very difficult to work with. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of them in the fitness sphere. The dabbler is probably most of the people that you see January 1st to, let's say, February or March 1st in the gym. Those are those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. The obsessive is kind of in the same ballpark uh hopefully i won't have to read too much here but so much like the dabbler the obsessive you know is overjoyed with the newbie gains so to speak um but the obsessive starts out by making robust progress 
His first spurt is just what he expected, but when he inevitably regresses and finds himself on a plateau, he simply will not accept it. He redoubles his effort. He pushes himself mercilessly. He refuses to accept his boss's or colleague's counsel of moderation. He works all night at the office. He is tempted to take shortcuts for the sake of quick results. And then it goes on to uh, elaborate on the obsessive in the environment of corporate culture. Uh, When ardor cools, he doesn't look elsewhere. He tries to keep the starship going by every means at his command. Oh, this is talking about relationships. Um, He doesn't understand the necessity for periods of development on the plateau. When it comes to interpersonal relationships, the relationships become a roller coaster ride with stormy separations and passionate reconciliations. Um, Somehow, in whatever he is doing, the obsessive manages for a while to keep making brief spurts of upward progress, followed by sharp declines, a jagged ride toward a sure fall. When the fall occurs, the obsessive is likely to get hurt, so are his friends, colleagues, stockholders, and lovers. So this is someone who sticks with the activity or the you know behavior in question, but is constantly overworking and can't settle in for the ride. This is a real. I think this one's a really challenging one from a coaching and a, as a trainee perspective. Because on the one hand, we know that pushing yourself is how you're going to make gains in the gym. You're going to make progress is to push your like limits. That said, push too hard and you diminish recovery, diminish performance. So, so there's a sweet spot between um, doing too little to elicit uh, gains and doing too much to detract from gains and you want to land somewhere in the middle and, and that's really challenging because that's an individual thing like for me for you for my clients for your clients that's an individual spot to be in so depending on uh, I would say nine times out of ten most of my people, I can step on the gas pedal and they're going to be fine. One out of every 10, there's a client that I need to push on the brake pedal for them. Mm. I think for, for general population people, this is not me. I think I'd probably overdo it. I'm probably the brake pedal person. But for most of the people that I coach, most of them I can hammer the gas pedal and try to hammer them as hard as possible and they'll be fine and they'll make gains and they'll be okay. For every nine of those people, I have one that I have to put the brake pedal on and be like, look, I understand your enthusiasm for like getting after it and trying to squeeze out one more rep, one more set, one more day, one whatever. I get it. I understand that endeavor. But like, we might be 
doing that to a detriment of your overall performance, physique, whatever you want to call it. So let me pump the brakes. Like this isn't enough. Right. I think that tenth person, the one out of ten, there is a limit to like enough. Yep. So and that's that, hard. That's very hard. Yeah. That is the obsessive. The third type. The hacker. Ooh. Ooh. I just hate this word. Some people build themselves as hackers. Let's let's take a look. I think biohackers I hate the most, but okay. Let's take a look. The hacker has a different attitude. After sort of getting the hang of a thing, he or she is willing to stay on the plateau indefinitely. He doesn't mind skipping stages essential to the development of mastery if he can just go out and hack around with fellow hackers. He's the physician or teacher who doesn't bother going to professional meetings, tennis player who develops a solid forehand and figures he can make do with a ragged backhand. At work, he does only enough to get by, leaves on time or early, takes every break, talks instead of doing his job, and wonders why he doesn't get promoted. So I think, especially back in the early 90s, hacker meant a different thing. I would almost venture to say that, like, hacker is in today's parlance is almost more of like the 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 biohackers that I'm talking about yeah right Right. it's kind of almost more of um, almost more of like a form of the dabbler well almost almost where the dabbler and the obsessive meet right trying to find shortcuts to long term gains right so that's how I would interpret that right absolutely so in this sense uh, the hacker is just someone who is basically settling for mediocrity, who who um, who doesn't take advantage. Okay, so here we go. Uh, in a weird way, unless I'm misinterpreting what you're saying, in a weird way, based on the way this book is articulating the hacker, you almost would, as a trainee, want to be the hacker. In other words, can I maximize my gains? whatever that looks like, by doing the least amount of effort. And that re- that's honestly the art of training, to be, like, if we're going to be honest. Because plenty of people know how to go way too hard, and plenty of people don't go hard enough. The hacker, at least per the definition that I may be or may not be understanding, is how do you settle right in the middle? How do you do the least amount of work while maximizing the amount of gains? You're misunderstanding. Oh, well, then we're, there we go. No, no, you're misunderstanding. No, no, the hacker is someone who doesn't care about maximizing results at all. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, they're so a hack. They're just, all right, so they're just along for the ride. They're, they're along for the ride. So, again, a lot of times he'll talk about uh, relationships in this book. So the hacker looks at marriage not as an opportunity for learning and development, but as a comfortable refuge from the uncertainties of the outside world. He or she is willing to settle for static monogamy, an arrangement in which both partners have clearly defined and unchanging roles, and in which marriage is primarily an economic and domestic institution. This traditional arrangement sometimes works well enough, but in today's world, uh, two partners are rarely willing to live indefinitely on an unchanging plateau. When your tennis partner starts improving his or her game and you don't, the game eventually breaks up. The same thing applies to relationships. 
So in this sense, you know, the hacker is someone who gets okay at something and basically stops. So oh, why would you want to do that? Well, plenty of people do that. Actually, I will, I'll admit this. Plenty of people who are just hobbyists at stuff. There are plenty of hobbyist um, fitness people. Now here's yeah, and that's fine. And I, and I mean that. That's fine because a lot of people don't give a shit about. Right. And for certain things, being a hack is fine. Tennis, golf. Fitness. Maybe even fitness. Sure. Yeah. Specifically, I think his point here, again, because the book is called you know, Mastery, but I, I think it's very telling that he uses interpersonal relationships as his main example here. Because if you're a hack at being a partner, that's not really something so you can. So basically, get away with. the hack is okay with mediocrity. Right. Precisely. I think, I honestly think that the hack or the hacker in this context is probably my least favorite of all of these potential fitness and to bring it back to fitness, but of fitness enthusiasts. Right. For people who like are okay with mediocrity. Right. Are like totally fine with it, and and I say that I'm not trying to like dog um, casual fitness because it's fine. Plenty of people just want to be fit-ish. Um, but in a weird way, like I have difficulty with it, like understanding it because like why not explore new way? Why not? push a little bit harder why not if you're gonna do the thing why not push the limits on occasion i'm not saying all the time but on occasion push the limits like why wouldn't you like if you're gonna play tennis like nobody shows up to tennis on saturdays and just whacks a few balls like you why would you do that why would you do that seek first to understand seek first to under i guess that you know so that is a little context for you know this particular chapter which is all about like the pitfalls that you might experience on the way to mastery and those three archetypes you know are are obvious so this is this is the one quote that i have uh that's in the next chapter that we can maybe kind of wrap up on this chapter is called America's War Against Mastery. I really, I gotta know what it says. And I see that you've bookended so, it. So, is that not it? Yeah, yeah, so that's it. So, so there's some stuff on, so the cool thing about this book is all the chapters are pretty short. So all right. <laughs> you can read a, a chapter a day, no problem. But this is the, this is the quote that I have highlighted. Well, I want to give you a little bit more context. So, America's War Against Mastery. Is that the, is that the name of this yeah. chapter? Is that what I said? Yeah. So, basically, he goes on to talk about, you know, kind of the, the darker side of marketing and consumerism and media and how we're fed a bill of goods about the quote-unquote path of endless climax. Okay. So here's the quote that I have highlighted. 
because he starts talking about drug use uh, as well. Um, okay, here we go. In any case, you might suspect that the disproportionate incidence of drug abuse in the United States, especially of drugs that give you a quick high, springs not so much from immoral or criminal impulses as from a perfectly understandable impulse to replicate the most visible, most compelling American vision of the good life, an endless series of climactic moments. Hmm. So his point there, doing drugs, gambling, Playing the lottery. Buying goods and services. Buying shit that you don't really need. Building 1985 Toyota Foreigners. All that stuff. Um, I, I thought that quote kind of summed it up very nicely. In that, you know, our brains are wired for these quote-unquote climactic moments. Immediate gratification. Right. The feeling of success. Right. And that makes sense. Again, if we're if we're thinking in terms of like evolutionary biology, you know, you kill the mammoth, right? Or, or you procreate. You know, you have a child. You, you know, somehow procure resources for yourself and your tribe. It makes sense that those things, those behaviors trigger a dopamine response sure. and they feel good right what's you know nothing feels better than making babies <laughs> am i right so it makes sense why these things are the way they are but in today's society when we can take shortcuts to those dopamine hits when we can get versions of those feelings of success that are kind of cheapened or kind of hollow, it makes sense that people just fall into patterns of getting those hits. Mm. That's why social media is such a thing. Like, if you don't have anything to post and you don't have any news that you want to follow up on or any friends that you follow up on, why do you even open Instagram? Probably there's some sort of deep-seated dopamine hit that that you're going for. That's how. And you know, again, this book was made was was written pre-social media in the early '90s. Right. So the internet wasn't even a thing. But it's it's very interesting his take on drug use as well. You take the drug, you get a quick high. You can't, I mean, can you really blame anybody for wanting that feeling, for wanting that that feeling or that sense of success? Because that's really what it is. Why do we get a dopamine hit? Because that's our body's or our brain's way of telling us you're successful. You've done something that is... <laughs> you know, positive or, or, or what have you. So I thought I thought that was very interesting. So America's war against mastery, well, it all goes back to listen, 
if you want to reach the echelons, the upper echelons of performance, you have to forego the dopamine hit for the for for a long time. You have to be willing to work without the cheap hits, so to speak. Well, and the funny thing about that, at least in terms of fitness, is the dopamine hit, I feel like would only actually ever happen if you, let's say you PR your deadlift, or PR your bench, or PR your squat. In terms of like fat loss, like visible abs, that's such a long, slow process that you just like wake up one day and you're like, wait a second, this is just... You really don't know. You don't notice the change unless you have like a before and after picture. Right. Or like you have like documentation. You just, one day you're just there. Right. And you're like, oh shit, like I'm lean and jacked or whatever. So I would, I would argue that if you're a trainee or a coach, that reorienting the dopamine hit around the process versus the outcome is the better way of, main, of of staying in the game long term. In other words, showing up and putting in a hard workout and just feeling accomplished should be the dopamine heat hit, not the outcome of that workout. Because those outcomes are long term. Like it's a long term investment. You end up investing an ass load of hours and time and energy to like to reach that goal. So if you retool, rework that sort of dopamine hit, hit around the outcome versus the process, it'll be a lot easier to, to actually reach that outcome and also like do the thing day in and day out. Right. The dopamine hit should come from, could come from, the process of showing up and putting in the work. That is the secret, if there is one. It's not a secret. We just we just told it. I'll tell all my clients that. And that's the same thing. It's that, that sort of, if you want to call it like radical, like honesty is like. Fall in love with the process. Fall I mean, in how, love with getting your ass kicked day in and day out. How many times have we heard that? You got to fall in love with the process. Because yeah, if you're looking for the accolades, if you're looking for the, the fireworks, like if you're lucky, that shit comes once a year. Right. You know? It's so, like July 4th. <laughs> I'm glad you picked up on that reference. <laughs> So yeah, so that's so that's really what our jobs as coaches that that is maybe one of our most important jobs as a coach is to say, listen, I know you're motivated by the spikes, by right. by the mountaintop. I know you're motivated by being at the top of the heap, and that's great. And that'll that'll get you off on a good start, and that'll maybe give you some early motivation and kind of show you like how training works and how progress is possible. That's all great. And, you know, in, a, in an interesting kind of way, it, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of funny how, you know, nature works. Because, you know, may, maybe, we, maybe we really need those newbie gains to, like, hook us. You know, it's like, oh, man, you know, I finally, you know, I finally see some, some, some early, some quick results. But, again, the tricky thing is, is to not get addicted 
to those hits and right. to accept where you're at and to understand the process, to respect the process. And it's not easy, but you can train yourself. Yourself, obviously with the help of coaches and mentors, to fall in love with the plateau, to fall in love with the process. And I talk about this all the time. It's important to have various levels of motivation. Day-to-day -day motivation, intermediate-term motivation, long-term motivation. So that you have those different levels of motivation and inspiration to lean on. Because mastery is a long game, and most of it is spent on the plateau. Right. And if you're not careful, look, I say this all the time too. Either you're brainwashing yourself or someone else's. And if you can brainwash yourself to, again, in whatever way this means to you, accept the plateau, but don't be complacent like the hacker, to also recognize that you still paradoxically always have the next step to take, you always have some progress left in you, when you can balance those, you're a master. Then we should. I had a comment, but I'm not going to say it. I think we should end right there. That was a great one. A to Z, no BS. We'll see you next time. Bye.